0: Well, this morning is our 12th and final week in the book of Job, and then we will bounce around for a few weeks in Ephesians and Deuteronomy, and then Easter Sunday, and then at the end of April, we'll begin a four-week series on biblical manhood, and we'll do in the fall a series on biblical manhood womanhood, don't want to leave anyone out, and then in between those two series and then a bit after that series in the fall, we'll have an expositional look at the book of Philippians, so a lot coming up, but this morning, again, our 12th and final week looking at the book of Job. The God-fearing man, Job, lived for a very long time, at least 140 years. And in those 140 years, Job probably faced a lot of trouble. You can't live 140 years without some pain, without some suffering, without some trial and trouble. But none of them would have compared to the trial that he faced relatively early in his life, the trial which is written of in the book of Job that we've been studying together. But Job nearly died. He nearly died. His body was covered from head to toe with sores. He, he couldn't sleep when he did sleep. He had night terrors. He couldn't eat food. He couldn't keep food down. His skin turned black. He, he even smelled terrible. When his friends first came to see him, they could not even recognize Job. And all of that physical torture was going on as Job was dealing with the total loss of his livelihood and the death of his 10 children. So for Job it was it was blow after blow. In fact, Job said that it felt like he was the target after a uh, target of arrow after arrow from God. That's how it felt to Job. Like he was a target and God was just shooting him with one arrow after another, and he barely had a chance to keep his breath. It was so bad that Job wished he was dead. He just wished that he was dead. He was, as Psalm 23 describes it, he was walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And he wanted to die. His wife was no help to him. His friends were no help to him. And it felt to him as though God had shut him out of his presence forever. It was bleak. And then one day, after Job had just about given up, a storm blew in. And out of this storm, God spoke. And as God spoke to Job, God revealed himself to Job in such a way that his troubles faded and his faith was awakened. And then in the end, God restored Job's fortunes and he even gave Job and his wife ten more children to love and enjoy now, that story is a true story. The book of Job is a true story. That really happened. It's also a good story. It is a good story, number one, about a good man, Job. And it is a good story, number two, about a great God uh, around Underneath and behind the good man. So it's a good story. It is a story about a man who was steadfast. And a story about a God who was and is compassionate and merciful. And that is what James recalls from the book of Job. He recalls in chapter 5 the steadfastness of Job and the compassion and mercy of God. And that's what he brings up as he's writing to his audience in James chapter 5. It is the steadfastness of Job and it is the compassion and mercy of God. So please turn there if you haven't. Let me read it again in James chapter 5. Here is what James says in verses 7 through 11. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So as I thought about it, as we conclude this sermon series, I wanted these thoughts of James about the book of Job to be our final thoughts about the book. But before I preach this sermon, we should pray together. Will you please bow your heads with me? Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word that is a light to our path. and We ask God that you would light up our path this morning. And help us to see what maybe we don't see right now. We pray, God, that through the Spirit working, through your word, that we would all see you today in all your glory and give you praise. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, suffering is a major theme in the book of James. Just like suffering is a major theme in the book of Job. Listen to the very first chapter of James. Verses 2 and 3. James said, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Trials means suffering. You're going to face difficulty. You're going to suffer. There's going to be pain. You will meet trials of various kinds. So he introduces that in the beginning of his letter. He's writing to Christians who are suffering. And then listen again to the last chapter, chapter 5. I just read these verses, but listen to verse 10. As an example of, what does it say? Suffering and patience, brothers. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So we got suffering at the beginning of his letter. There's suffering at the end of his letter. And James is writing. And he is calling Christians to be patient and steadfast in their trials. While you're in a trial, while you are suffering, be steadfast. So James is encouraging these suffering Christians, and of course, you suffering Christians. James was saying these words, inspired by God, for them and for everyone else who would read these words, like you. And James was writing these words to suffering Christians to encourage them, to encourage you to stay faithful. To be steadfast. To endure. To not give up. Like Job. Is the example we know. And the example that James gives. Job was steadfast. Job did not give up. Job remained faithful. Job endured. That's not all James sees in the book of Job. So he points that out. And he points his suffering friends to the steadfastness of Job. But that is, that is not all that James sees in the book of Job. In fact, there is something greater. There is something James knows behind Job's steadfastness. There is something enabling Job's steadfastness. There is something shaping it. There is something making it possible for Job to be steadfast. James sees in the life of Job and in the life of his readers, look at verse 11. What does he see in the steadfastness of Job and in the life of his readers and you, look at the second half of verse 11, have seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So, in conclusion of our sermon series, let's look back, helped by James. At, number one, the steadfastness of Job. And, number two, the compassion and mercy of God. That's what James points out. The steadfastness of Job and the compassion and mercy of God. So, number one, the steadfastness of Job. The word he uses for steadfast. Refers to stickability. These are actually words. I didn't know these were actually words. Stickability or stick I like words like that. Just kind of make them up. There was this stickability about Job or this stick According to James, and we would all have to agree, those of us who've been studying Job, we would have to agree that Job, he suffered, but he was steadfast. He stood his ground. He stood his ground. His faith did not break. He remained steadfast. And remember something, think back to the beginning of the book of Job, that is exactly what Satan said would not happen if Job was tested. He would not remain steadfast if he suffered. That is what Satan said to God. Here are his exact words in chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. Satan said to God about Job Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. So Satan's getting at something there with God. Well, Job is blessed. He's got a lot of money. He's got ten kids. Things have gone pretty well for him. And then Satan said, but to God... Stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. In other words, he will not be steadfast. It's a sham. It's a veneer. And if you test him, if you bring suffering into his life, he will he'll not remain steadfast. He will curse you to your face. He said it again to God in chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Skin for skin, Satan said to God. All that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh. Make him sick, God. If you do that, he will, what did Satan say? He will curse you to your face. That's what this whole book has been about. This trial has been about. This suffering has been about. Satan said, he will not keep his faith. He will not still love you. He will not remain steadfast. And then what happened? The loss of his business. The loss of his children. The loss of his health. And Job remained steadfast steadfast. He said things like Job 13:15, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Even if God kills me, I will hope in him. He said things like Job 16:19, even now In the middle of his suffering, even now, behold, my witness is in heaven. And he who testifies for me is on high. And then sort of the Mount Everest of everything Job said in chapter 19, verse 25. For I know that my Redeemer lives And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. So, as we trace it, as we see it, we agree with James. Job, he questioned God at times, he doubted God at times, but at the end of the day, he remained faithful. At the end, his steadfastness was proven. It was proven to Satan. It was proven to the angels who were watching. It was proven to the demons. It was proven to you. It was proven to me. He was steadfast. There's no denying it. He persevered through the darkest hours of his life. He had walked through the valley of the shadow of death and he came out faithful on the other side. And James says, look, be reminded of that. You're suffering. Look at Job. Look what he endured. And he was steadfast. He came out on the other end of all of that faithful. But now here's what I'd like to do. More specifically... Job was steadfast in three ways. So here, before we move on to the compassion and mercy of God, that's number two, the second thing James points out. Let's briefly look at three specific ways that Job was steadfast. And I'll tell you what they are. And then we'll look at them more closely. Job was steadfast in... One, his belief in God. Two, his belief in the sovereignty of God. And three, his commitment to God. He was steadfast in all three of those ways. So let's confirm those one at a time. Number one, Job was steadfast in his belief in God. So Job never stopped believing in God. He never stopped believing in God. He never stopped. Here's one way that that's obvious in the book. He never stopped crying out to God. Really, God is the only one he cries out to. He's not crying out to his wife. He's not crying out to his friends. He's constantly crying out to God. So he believes in God. His questions, his doubts, his complaints, his, even his anger, all directed at God. Because he believes in God. Suffering people... especially when they suffer to the degree that Job did or something close to that. And you may have experienced this or know this, that suffering people are typically tempted to abandon belief in God. Somehow it feels typically to people who are suffering like... Abandoning belief in God will somehow help. But Job didn't. That's significant. He was steadfast in his belief in God. No matter what happened, Job knew God was real. He knew God was real. Number two. Job was steadfast in his belief in the sovereignty of God. Job was steadfast in his belief in the sovereignty of God. There were times where Job doubted the goodness of God. That seems pretty clear. Especially he doubted God's goodness toward himself there were times when he he questioned whether or not because of what was happening and knowing that God was behind it ultimately he questioned God do you really love me are you really for me but he never doubted the sovereignty of God he never doubted the sovereignty of God he affirmed it remember at the very beginning of his trial in chapter 1 and 2, he affirmed the sovereignty of God and he never stopped. He affirms it at the, in the very last words he said in chapter 42. So from first words to last words, he is steadfast in his belief in the sovereignty of God. Job knew that absolutely nothing happens outside of God's decree, God's desire, God's wish. Job knew nothing happened outside of God's decree. Job knew that everything was a part of God's plan. Everything, Deuteronomy 29, 29. Everything was a part of God's secret will. He understood that the thieves who came to his family, that the murderers who came to His business. He knew that the wind, he knew that the fire, he knew that all of that was, as the theologians say, secondary causes. And behind all those secondary causes was God, the primary cause. He knew that everything that was happening was a part of God's plan. He knew that nothing that was happening was taking God by surprise. So think about this. Job could have denied the existence of God. Job could have denied the sovereignty of God. He could have thought Well, I'm feeling, because I know God's hand is behind all this, I'm feeling like God does not love me. So he could have just then denied that God's hand was behind it. Maybe this isn't a part of God's plan. Maybe God didn't know this was going to happen. Maybe God isn't sovereign. It may have provided some temporary comfort and relief for Job. Because it was hard for him clearly to accept that God's hand was behind the suffering in his life. But he never doubted it. He affirms it over and over and over. It is also true, in my experience, that suffering people are often tempted to abandon belief in the sovereignty of God. Often tempted to abandon belief in the sovereignty of God, thinking that it will help. And they often do. But Job didn't. That is significant. Job was steadfast. Job knew that God was real. Job knew that God was was mighty and he held on just held on for dear life held on to his belief in God and his belief in the sovereignty of God and we watch where that takes him and he never lets go and then number three Job was steadfast in his commitment to God he was steadfast in his commitment to God. He never followed his wife's advice. She came to him early on and said, why don't you just get this over with? End your suffering. Just curse God and die. Job never cursed God. Job never denied God. Job never abandoned God. God. Suffering people are often tempted to abandon their faith, and some do. But Job didn't. That is significant. Job knew God was real. Job knew God was mighty. And Job knew God could be trusted. And so he stayed steadfast in his commitment to God. So I think we should pause because I think this would be a good time for all of us to evaluate ourselves before God by asking ourselves these questions. Do you know God is real? Do you know God is mighty? Do you know God can be trusted? If you do, are you living accordingly? Are you living as if you believe in God? Are you living as if you believe in the sovereignty of God? Are you living as if you are committed to God? Would your parents see it? Would your children see it? Would your brothers and sisters see it? Would your church see it? Would your friends see it? Would your neighbors see it? Do you mean it when you say you believe in God? When you say you believe that He is mighty and in control of all things? When you say that you are a Christian, which means you say that you are committed to God? It was proven true in Job. So there it is. We know it's true. Job is an example to us. James was wise to point suffering Christians back to the steadfastness of Job. It's the only place in the entire New Testament Job is mentioned. And it is great use of the man Job. But again, that is not all That James sees in the book of Job. In fact, that is not even the greatest storyline in the book of Job. It never is. The point of the book of Job is not, be a Job. It's not the point of the book of Daniel. Be a Daniel. That's not the point of this. The point is always... You know this, the point is always God. Job is not the hero, God is the hero. So we're not surprised that James doesn't just say, Hey, you guys need to focus on Job and imitate Job. Job is in he does that, but there's more that he sees. The greatest storyline that James sees in Job, the most important thing for suffering Christians to grasp, if they are to be steadfast like Job, is the compassion and mercy of God. That's what James sees. Listen to verse 11 again. Hear it in verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Okay, so we are done with the steadfastness of Job and now let's look number two where we needed to get the compassion and mercy of God. That's what we've got to leave the book of Job with. The compassion and mercy of God. So let me ask you, Do you see the compassion and mercy of God in the book of Job? Think about this with me. Think about the book of Job. Think about the life of Job. Think about this year in Job's life that the book of Job tells us about. Here James is talking about The compassion and mercy of God. Now be honest in your thoughts. Do you see the compassion and mercy of God in the book of Job? Here's my second question. If you do see the compassion and mercy of God in the book of Job, where do you see it? think about this. So maybe you're thinking, OK, I see it. Yes. I can look at the book of Job and I can see the compassion and mercy of God. And now I'm asking you, what are you looking at right now? What what chapters are you thinking about? What what part of Job's life. Are you thinking about right now. When you say I can see it. I can see the compassion. And mercy of God. If you see it. I wonder if you only see it. In chapter 42. Or maybe. Maybe. Or maybe you see it in chapter 42. This is when God comes and restores Job's fortunes. I see compassion, I see mercy. Maybe you also, I wonder if you see it in chapters 38 through 41. When when God finally, right? Thirty seven chapters of Where Are You, God? 37 chapters of have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And then finally, thank you, God, finally, chapter 38. God comes and reveals himself to Job. So if you see compassion and mercy in the book of Job and in the life of Job, I'm wondering if and betting that maybe a lot of you, you see it in chapter 42. Or you see it in chapters 38 through 41, but listen to James again. Is that where James sees it? Listen to James again. We're we're just focusing, right, on the second half of verse 11. That's where this compassion and mercy comes up. James said, You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Okay, so James did not say, maybe this contrast will move us along. James did not say, I mean, just read that verse with me again. It's going to help if you visualize this with me. James did not say, you are have heard of the steadfastness of Job. He said that. But he didn't then say, and you have heard how the Lord delivered Job. How the Lord was compassionate and merciful. But wouldn't that be easier? Wouldn't that be easier to see compassion and mercy... In the deliverance. That's where many of you were seeing it. When I asked you. Do you see compassion and mercy. From God in the book of Job. You were thinking about yes. When God came and delivered Job. In chapters 38 through 41. And in chapter 42. But that is not what Job says. It would have been easier. Or James. It would have been easier if James said that for me. If he said listen. You have heard how the Lord delivered Job and how the Lord was compassionate and merciful. Where do we see the compassion and mercy of God in the book of Job when he delivers Job? I'm thinking, when he reveals himself through his words in that storm, when he restores Job's fortunes. When he gives him ten more children. That is when the Lord was compassionate and merciful. Finally. And that would have been easier. But that is not what James says. Look again. Where did James see the compassion and mercy of God? In what did James see the compassion and mercy of God? You have heard, here it is again, verse 11. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful where did James see the compassion and mercy of God in in what did James see the compassion and mercy of God in in the purpose of the Lord Now, purpose is a word that takes us all the way back, not not to what God does at the beginning of the suffering. That word purpose takes us all the way back to what God does at the very beginning of the suffering. Like His purpose for the suffering, His intention for the suffering, the meaning of the suffering. That's what this word purpose does. That word purpose does not just refer to the deliverance. Of Job, it refers to the suffering of Job, right? God, God had a purpose in the suffering of Job. And James says, You see that? You see how compassionate and merciful God was to Job in allowing him to suffer? God was merciful. We know this. It's a no brainer. God was merciful in delivering Job from his suffering. And God was merciful in allowing Job to suffer. Can can we handle that? Some of us are already tempted to say, yeah, maybe God is not sovereign. that temptation i have wait a minute god is not just being merciful in chapter 42 and in chapters 38 through 41 god was merciful in allowing job to suffer the deliverance was merciful and the suffering was also merciful the deliverance was a miracle. The suffering was a miracle. It was all from God. And it was all for Job's good. And James says, hey, look at the purpose. Look at the purpose, the meaning, the intention. What got this whole ball rolling, James chapter, or Job chapter 1, chapter 2. He says, see that, see that, and see what in that the Lord is compassionate and merciful Not just in His delivering of Job or His delivering of you, Christian. I want you to be delivered. I want you to be rescued. I want the sickness to go away. I want the suffering to stop. I'm praying that it would. You're praying that it would. And if and when it does, God is merciful to do it. But the pain is also His mercy. I don't think we can just leave that there. I'm not ready for prayer and dismissal yet. I think there's some tension still in the room and in the word that we can work through together. If we're going to do that, we have to answer this question. Here's the question we've got to answer if, if we're going to take this truth home with us, because we, we are saying crazy things here today. This is crazy talk. And so it, it better be true. And so I'm not ready to end with just, hey, take my word for it. And I'm pretty sure that's what James says. Have a good week. I want a little more, if we can, a little more ballast in your boat than that. Because we're saying, this is crazy, right? We're saying that yes, it is compassionate and merciful when God delivers and rescues Job. And it is compassionate and merciful when God allows Job to suffer in the first place. That's crazy. That makes God sound mean or something. So what's the question? How? How? Can allowing or causing someone God God how can allowing or causing someone to suffer be an act of compassion and mercy? Do some of you have that question right now how? how how can this be I'm accepting it I'm hearing that. Seems to be what James says, Isaiah fifty five nine, God's ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. I guess I'll just I'll just put it in that category and but I don't really understand this, but maybe we can go farther. How can allowing or causing someone to suffer, God, like you did with Job, how can that be an act of compassionate and mercy? Or to say it another way, how is that loving? How is that loving? Wouldn't it have been more compassionate and suffering to not permit Satan to inflict Job? Here's where we start to think how we would do things. You want to talk about compassion and mercy... And trying to figure out how God allowing or causing Job to suffer is compassionate and merciful. i got an idea. How about you don't permit Satan in the first place to torment Job? That sounds like compassion. I mean, come on, don't you think like this? Doesn't that sound reasonable and logical? Maybe that would be compassionate and merciful. Or how about you just take only one child? That would be compassionate and merciful but all ten of it, or or give him a less severe disease, or come and speak to Job sooner, or, or maybe send good friends with some good counsel. That would be compassionate. That would be merciful. That would be loving, we say. And so we think, maybe... We're attempted to think that God in this book of Job does not get compassionate and merciful and loving until he delivers Job. That's not what James is saying. No, the suffering itself was compassionate and merciful. It is. It reminded me of John chapter 11 when we are told that Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters so much that he let Lazarus die. Did you feel that? It's that same kind of thing. So it's somehow loving to let Lazarus die. You heard that he's dying. okay? So get to town and heal him or say a word and heal him. But no, because you love him so much, you just stuck around for a couple more days. And then you slowly made your way there, and he, or he'd already been dead. And it did, we're, we're told in John 11 that Jesus did that because he loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha so much. So we ask the same question there in the New Testament that we ask here, and that is, how? How is that work? How is you allowing God or causing this suffering? How is that loving? How is that compassionate? How is that merciful? So, quickly, take three steps with me to, to try and understand how this is loving for God to, to cause, to decree, to permit this suffering of Job or, or your suffering, Christian. How is that compassionate and merciful and loving? So three steps. First, to maybe define love differently than we're accustomed to. How is this, how is this loving God? You and I, we, we are loved most not when people make much of you. I mean, that's naturally what I think. You're loving me if you're making a big deal of me. That's, that, I feel loved when you do that, just so you know. And I'm sure you feel the same, same from me. Well, I'm saying nice things to you and kind things and complimenting you and, and affirming you and giving you attention and making eye contact. I mean, of course, right? You, you, you feel loved by me. You feel loved by people who say they love you when they do these things. But listen, you are not most loved. You are not most loved when people make much of you or when God spares you from suffering. That's simple, but that's not true. That is not when we are most loved. Here's when you and I are loved the most. Here's when you and I are loved the most. And I I think I learned this or something like this from John Piper. So I want to give him credit. You, You are loved most when you are made to be enthralled with whatever will bring you full and eternal satisfaction. That's when you are really loved. So the the secular sliver of this is do whatever makes you happy. Or I want you to be happy. And all of you unconditionally want your loved ones to be happy. The world gets this. We understand this naturally. We want those we love to be happy a Christian believes that you will only be happy in God. So you are most loved, again, when you are made to be enthralled with whatever will bring you full and eternal satisfaction. And then step two Take step two with me is that only God will bring you full and eternal satisfaction. So you are loved when you are Made to be enthralled with or consumed by whatever will bring you full and eternal satisfaction. And step two, God alone. God alone will bring you full and eternal satisfaction. And then step three. So you are loved when you are made to see God. So Christian, that's how you love the people you love. I mean, that's how you really love them. That's not the only way you love them. But the ultimate way you love the people you say you love is to help them see God. You want your kids to see God. You want your friends to see God. You want your family members to see God because you know that they will only be happy. They will only be happy fully and eternally satisfied and joyful in God. So you want to help people not to make much of themselves, but to make much of God. And that's loving, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes from God to get you to see Him. To get you enthralled with Him. The only source of full and eternal satisfaction. That is loving. And what, remember with me now, what did Job say when God came to him in his suffering? He was still suffering. And what were some of the last words Job said in chapter 42, verse 5? I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. So put that together. Let me just put that all together. Job was loved by God When God allowed Job to suffer for the purpose of revealing himself in greater glory to Job for Job's greater joy. What a plan. Let me say that again. Job was loved by God. He was being loved by God when God allowed Job to suffer for, as James points out, the purpose of revealing Himself in greater glory to Job for Job's greater joy. So at the end you've of all of this, at the end of this suffering, You have Job with greater joy. You have Job with greater contentment. You have Job with greater satisfaction. And he wouldn't have any of that apart from the suffering. Now, Job says, my eyes see you. Now, after all that you have done after all that you have put me through, now as you reveal yourself to me, now I see you in all your glory, in all your splendor. I know that your purposes stand no matter what. And he is satisfied like he never was before. Therefore, he was loved by God when he was allowed to suffer the way he was. You see the plan of God Right? You see the purpose of God. Satan had no idea that he was just a tool in God's hand to grow Job. Satan was a pawn in God's hand. It was like this. Satan, I'm going to let you do this. I'm going to give you a long leash. I'm going to let you rack my servant, Job. I'm going to let you take so much from him that is precious and dear. And then I am going to come to him at the end of that. And I am going to reveal myself to him in ways he never would have seen before. And he will be enthralled by my glory and will be fully and eternally Satisfied. Therefore, the suffering itself was part of the mercy and compassion of God. And that's true for every single one of you Christians who suffer. No matter how great the suffering, This is what it means in Romans 8 when it says that God is working all things together, including your suffering for your good. Think of it this way. Everything you've lost will be made up to you, whether in this life or in the life to come. And it will serve to make your joy even greater. Your contentment even greater Your satisfaction even greater. So this makes sense of scriptures that we read. One of them in Job, like chapter 5, verse 18. For he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. He's Lord over all of it. And he's compassionate and merciful in all of it. Or Hosea 6. One says, come, let us return to the Lord. And listen to how the prophet Hosea says this. For he has torn us so that he may heal us. You see that in Job? He has struck us down and now he will bind us up. This is what William Cooper was talking about, who suffered so much in the 18th century when he wrote, and here's one verse from the song that we sing. He's challenging us. He says, ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds, ye so much dread, are big with, and do you remember his word? Mercy. And shall break in blessings on your head. It is only a matter of time. And frankly, the bigger the cloud gets, and the darker the cloud gets, the greater the downpour of blessings. Suffering is God's most mysterious tool in bringing about greater faith and joy in a Christian. It's like magic. It's magical how suffering works. Suffering hardens an unbeliever, but it softens a believer. Charles Spurgeon said, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. Friends, what effect does suffering have on you? What effect do these truths have on you this morning? Does this soften your heart? Or does this harden your heart? If it hardens your heart, you should be alarmed. You should cry out to God. That he would change your heart. That he would soften your heart. If this truth, though, softens your heart, if this truth helps your heart, know that you most likely belong to Christ. If you see his compassion and mercy and his love in all things, thank God. Praise God. It's because of him your eyes are open. That is the big story in the book of Job. No one would say at the end of that, Job's the hero. I'm, I'm proud of Job. I'm amazed by Job. How he remained steadfast, but why did he remain steadfast? God is the hero. It's true that God was out to prove the faithfulness of Job, but he was out to prove something far bigger and something far better. It was not the steadfastness of Job, God was out to prove what he is always out to prove. His own glory in the joy of His people. So let me close. I've read these words before and I'll read them again. William Cooper had a great friend and pastor named John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace. And John Newton was largely to credit for keeping William Cooper somewhat spiritually healthy through his massive bouts of depression and in and out of what we would call today mental hospitals what they called then insane asylums and he wrote beautiful poetry and clearly knew the Lord so Mr. Newton was very helpful to him and Mr. Newton had learned that suffering was God's mysterious tool for the Christian so he wrote this hymn. I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace. Might more of His salvation know and seek more earnestly His face. And I bet Job prayed that. Something like that. I hoped, John Newton said, that in some favored hour at once he'd answer my request and By his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more, with his own hand, he seemed intent to aggravate my woe crossed all the fair designs I schemed, blasted my gourds and laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied. I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayest find thy all in me. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, help us to find all of our joy in you. And whatever it is, God, that works for you to bring us greater joy and to bring you Greater glory, God. We see this morning the importance of it. But God, our hearts still resist it at times. And we don't want to be uncomfortable. And we don't want to endure. So God, make us a more faithful people. Give us the strength we need and the endurance we need to be steadfast like our Brother Job, so that you would be glorified in us and we would be joyful in you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.